0: predictions are dangerous we absolutely need more inventory the fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation
1: that cash has dried up wow is my first thought bruce if both parties don't win it doesn't happen the real look trending news today is wednesday december 6th i'm bruce hardy and i'm chase williams and this is the news you need to know Based on annual changes to an index of national home prices, conforming loan limits for mortgages backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac on one-unit properties will now be $766,550, and that's in 2024. For high-cost areas, the loan limit will actually be as high as $1.149 million. Now, rising home prices also prompted FHA or the Federal Housing Administration to adjust their loan limits as well with the floor FHA loan limit for a one-unit property increasing to $498,257. And that's in most parts of the country. Now, the increases in conforming and FHA loan limits will help certain home buyers, including younger buyers with little cash and a small window of borrowers who are on the cusp of not being able to apply for an FHA or conventional loan due to a lower floor, are now able to buy real estate. So what are your thoughts around this?
0: Any positive news is great news for the real estate industry at the moment. So the fact that this gives a a small percentage, I believe, of homeowners uh, additional options is great, particularly those that would have had a hard time finding or qualifying for jumbo loans. Right now, they have a little wider conforming amount that they can take advantage of. So I think the big question, though, around this story is how much it will actually affect or impact the industry or, or buyers at large. And I think if you look at the dollar amount that these loan limits were widened to, you realize that you know this is probably a pretty small percentage of buyers that it helps. But once again, any percentage is a positive percentage. And I think that we can get excited to a reasonable degree around that.
1: As real estate professionals, right? We need to actually understand what these limits are so that we can actually help our clients make these decisions, right? to get into the real estate market. If you think about this high interest rate environment, what we're starting to see again, and doesn't surprise me is FHA loans have become more popular as an option, particularly with those people with a lower FICO score who need to qualify with a slightly higher debt to income ratio. Now, of course, with these lower down payment loans, right, there's a mandatory mortgage insurance premium, and those actually have been reduced to 55 basis points for most borrowers in February, and FHA loans tend to come with lower interest rates than conventional loans, while the difference in interest rates could often be offset by the greater number of fees, including mortgage insurance premiums. It's interesting to see that demand for FHA loans has risen over the past year to being almost 26, just over 26% of all new home loan purchase applications. And that was in October. So that's the higher share of FHA new home purchase applications in almost a decade.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the big advantages, Bruce, is some of these loans come with the option and opportunity to put less down. And that's a big deal, right? In addition to any advantage you get in the rate, et cetera, being able to put less down on a property is a big deal. Let's take millennials, for example, right? They're actually 28% of all buyers. There's this idea that some millennials have less saved up because of their age. And so being able to put less down on a property and now widening the dollar amount of the properties that they can qualify for is a good thing, right? They're typically going to be, you know, borrowing some of their down payment from the bank of mom and dad, right? That we've talked about before. That's one of the most common sources for down payment assistance. In addition to all the programs that are offered, mom and dad are still the biggest source. This is certainly positive news, although it's not something new either, right? I want to remind our listeners that the FHA and others you know, are constantly looking at what's happening with the average prices and and then adjusting what's conforming, usually on an annual or more basis. Why are they raising the amount? Well, frankly, because we're still seeing average prices go up. Now, not dramatically, not like they were, but they still
1: are going up. And so they're following courses we would anticipate they would, right? What was interesting is that Fannie Mae is projecting a 2.8% increase in average price next year. Meanwhile, Capital Economics is expecting an increase of only 1.5% next year. And then the Mortgage Bankers Association, were a little more optimistic, and they're expecting a 4.1% increase. And of course, you know, we talk about this predictions, right? Who knows, right? Everybody's throwing their bets in the ring. But the fact is, right, even in the market that we're in, we're still seeing home prices increase. Again, we've got to repeat it, it's always a good time to buy the right property. Well, Chase, I I think this is interesting. Uh, I guess it's interesting, but it's all spin, right? And that is uh, Coldwell Bank of Danforth. By the way, Coldwell Bank of Danforth is located in the Puget Sound area, said in a statement on Friday that it will not renew its NAR affiliation beginning in 2024. The franchise has more than 300 agents in five offices across the Puget Sound area of Washington. And the statement added that the company is the first privately owned Coldwell Banker franchise in the United States to actually separate from NAR. Now, this is a quote, the decision underscores our brokerage's unwavering commitment to agent autonomy and our belief in allowing agents to make choices that best suit their needs and principles. And that was Dave Danforth, who's the designated broker owner of Coldwell Banker Danforth. So uh, what are your thoughts on this news? As I've
0: mentioned, it's been a challenging season for the NAR, National Association of Realtors, for a number of reasons. Not only are they tied up in a crazy amount of litigation, but they've had some internal challenges too regarding some allegations around their leadership and otherwise. I would say a couple things, Bruce. I think we all believe in the choice of the agent. That's mentioned in the article here. I don't think that that breaks from conventional wisdom. I can respect and appreciate Dave's decision here, but 300 agents is a tiny, tiny fraction of what's even involved in the Northwest MLS, let alone across the state of Washington. It seems like a lot of posturing. Again, can't blame anybody for that. if It's something that they feel strongly about and truly believe in. But I I think also I, I would question some of the downside of potentially, you know, making such a bold statement and splitting from an association like NAR. What I mean by that, Bruce, is, their commitment to the realtor code of ethics and what realtors agree to be bound by as part of NAR. That's just an example. So none of these things are quite so black and white as people would have you believe sometimes. There's usually more gray than we're willing to admit, meaning that there's pros and cons of all these decisions. Hence, the agent having the opportunity for choice. And frankly, I think the agent has had more choices than they've ever had in the industry. I don't think this changes that dramatically.
1: I think it's actually interesting, right, to say that we have an unwavering commitment to agent autonomy and our belief in allowing agents to make choices. Well, no, I'm sorry, you are making a choice for your agents, right? What do you do with those agents who choose to still remain a part of the association of realtors? Well, they're going to have to leave because you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You're either a realtor company or you're not. I think what's interesting here, right, was Anywhere in their settlement agreed to allow their franchisees to not have to be members of NAR and the associations. What's interesting about this is that the vast majority of Anywhere's franchisees or company-owned stores are in MLSs that are association-owned. So the vast majority of them will not be able to separate from NAR if they want access to the MLS. The difference here is, is that Northwest MLS is not owned by the association. I think there's a little bit of grandstanding, a little bit of, but the other side of it, like you said, what are we throwing out here with the bathwater? Well, the code of ethics, but also you understand that the association of realtors is the largest lobby in Washington, right? We have a lot of power as an association because of our membership to be able to go and affect legislation and laws. And what happens if we all abandon that? Well, we lose that opportunity. So I think it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, it absolutely will be. I have no doubt, Bruce, that the NAR will continue to be in the news for the near future, without a
1: doubt. Sort of in related news, Chase, Redfin, right, had announced in October that they were going to disassociate with NAR. What's fascinating about that, right, is that they're a different business model. And because their agents are employees, Redfin is having to pay the association dues. So over the time that they've been in business, they've stated they've paid over $13 million in association dues. So for them, they're looking and say, okay, we're going to separate from NAR. And really, it's a cost-cutting measure for them. However, I thought it was interesting that Redfin actually settled a class action case over wages which was bought by two agents who were former Redfin agents. And in fact, the settlement, they agreed to a $3 million payout. In the article, it talks about
0: agents being both employee agents, as they call them, and associate agents. So think, I'm getting paid W-2 or salary type work, and I'm working on commission at the same time. And this has long been a concern, Bruce, in the industry around the, again, gray area of being an independent contractor and being asked to do or told to do certain things. Those two things aren't always in perfect alignment. And, you know, here's Redfin settling for $3 million as such. I wanted to point out, Bruce, and this is not a shot at Redfin. This is a shot, <laughs> to be clear, at class action lawsuits and how they actually end up. Because if you look at what agents could get, according to court documents, participating class members, that's members of the class action lawsuit, will receive an average gross payment of $658.13 with an estimated highest gross payment of $5,035.25. But of course, Bell and Cook, who are the two agents that are the class representatives, will also receive $10,000 each. What's not stated here, Bruce, and I would pay a good portion of my own money to know is how much of the money the attorneys are going to get, because I will bet you that it's the lion's share and that at very least, their average is much higher than $658. Yep.
1: Well, Chase, do you want to pay me? Because I do know. Oh, I- <laughs> fill <spill laughs> it, fill it. it. I Googled this and it's actually Bloomberg reported of that $3 million, $1 million is going to the attorney's. A third. A third. And it it didn't even go to court, right? They settled. Again, these class action lawsuits really sort of get under my skin a little bit because the motivation is by the attorneys. It's a moneymaker for them. Chase, pending home sales in October fell to their lowest level since 2001. As mortgage rates edged near multi-decade highs, pending home sales declined 1.5% in October on a month-over-month basis. And that's according to data from the National Association of Realtors. So regionally, the Northeast posted a monthly gain in transactions, but the Midwest, South, and of course, where we live, the West, all post losses. Year over year, all four regions saw a drop in transactions. Now, what was interesting is new home sales posted a better performance as home buyers pivoted to new construction amid waning existing home supply. However, new home sales fell 5.6% in October on a month-over-month basis, but remained 17.7% above last year's level. So uh, what are your thoughts on this news?
0: Well, more of the same, Bruce. We're continuing to see, you know, this dramatic slowdown in number of transactions happening and lots of predictions about how that'll shake out next year. But more and more of them starting to sound like next year may look a lot like this year There are some predictions that the inventory will start to rise next year. I have a lot of question marks around where that inventory is going to come from, right? Because even if we see some sort of pullback in interest rates, they would have to pull back dramatically for this lock-in effect to really change, right? We know that 33% of all mortgages are under 3%. So I used the example to a group of folks the other day. I said, even if we got back down to 6 which I'm not predicting, but I'm just saying, what if that would feel pretty great compared to eight. And yet that would still be more than double a third of all mortgages. So for sellers that feel like they're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and don't want to trade it in for a losing one, I'm not sure that changes that dramatically. And so we're going to continue to see inventory impacted primarily by the most motivated among us right? These life events that cause us to need to sell regardless of what's happening with rates. And so it'll be interesting to see how much that actually has an impact. Without a dramatic increase in inventory, I do believe that the projections around the average prices, you know, holding steady, maybe increasing slightly or decreasing slightly, but in essence, kind of holding steady, I think are probably pretty accurate given the inventory challenges.
1: Yeah, which is really fascinating, right? We've seen interest rates spike, and yet, quarter over quarter, third quarter was up 2.1% from the second quarter. And home prices are up 5.5% year over year. Yeah, we're in an interesting time. And I think we just need to set our sales right for the market that we're in. Again, if you haven't read the shift book, I really encourage you to go get that and read that. Just apply those tactics, right, to survive in a shifting market, because regardless of what happens, you'll be in great shape, whether, uh, as you said, Chase, some of the predictions say we're going to see more inventory come on the market. I'm with you on that. I think over time we will, but not immediately.
0: Well, I, I think that's right, Bruce. And like chapter four, for example, in the shift book is finding the motivated we've talked on this program and you always share the four D's of the motivated. Well, I have a fifth one to add for you. I think I had a really uh, great agent add this one last week while I was doing some visits, but you always talk about death, debt, divorce, and the job, right? Yeah. Job change, which I love that joke. Everyone laughed by the way, you should know I stole your joke, <laughs> but one of the agents added a fifth D, De Niro because we're seeing a lot of people with cash. Again, they're not rate sensitive in any way. They are still transacting because they don't care what the rate is. They're paying cash. Some of those are moved down sellers, right? They're moving into a smaller house. They're taking a lot of that equity and they're paying cash or they're putting a lot of cash down, which also helps them be less rate sensitive. So again, those are the motivated and those are examples, you know, just a a cool way of remembering, but those transactions are still out there and they're still out there by the millions, Bruce even though they're lower than they were. So that's an encouragement to anyone wondering if there's still enough for them to hit their goals.
1: Well, in fact, NAR reported 26% of all transactions last month were cash. There you go. De Niro. All right, well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Matt Dimmick and Liz Steele with Team Dimmick with Keller Williams Realty Alaska Group. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening to The Real Look.